Hello again and welcome to Watch the Media. I'm John Schrader. We're all in on the world's game this time around with a top American soccer analyst. Alexi Lalas, the former national team and World Cup player, the early MLS star of the 1990s, a former soccer executive, and now the analyst for soccer on Fox. He's the lightning rod. He's the guy who throws the heat and takes the heat, and he's happy to be that guy. And there's more to Alexi Lalas. He's the man on this episode of Watch the Media. We know him and we love him as a guy who talks soccer, and he'll talk soccer anytime on the street corner at the local pub. He'll do it in front of hundreds of thousands uh, on his podcast, millions on television. Doggone it, Lexi Lawless will talk soccer anywhere, anytime. Is that fair? That was fair. That was a wonderful introduction. You uh, read it exactly as I wrote it. I mean, they may know me. I'm not sure they they love me, but you know they, you know tolerate me and I'm, I'm being a little forgiving but uh, they tolerate me so I'm, I'm glad to be continuing at the uh, ripe old age of 53 to talk about the game that I love in a lot of different venues over there in Fox and uh, you know if there's I, I was saying if there's you know a, a human being kicking a soccer ball on Fox there's a good chance that I'm talking about a man woman or co-ed naked doesn't matter and we would make a lot of money by the way if we had a co-ed naked type of uh, broadcast I, I smell ratings bonanza and what channel, which Fox channel are you going to put that on? Wait, that might be after dark, more be a little after dark type of stuff. After dark streaming <laughs> and pay for view, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah, great idea, though. I'm sure you've sent that over to the programming department, haven't you? I'm an idea. I'm an idea, man. You know, that's what I do. So. <laughs> All seriousness uh, said almost light, lightly, but but you are, Lexi, uh, the lightning rod guy. You're the guy who's who, who sometimes stirs it up. And, and oftentimes uh, takes it and it's a role you play and you're happy with that question mark. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think we talked a little bit before when I've been on about uh, my upbringing and, you know, I grew up with a, uh, a father who was a professor and a mom who was a writer and, you know, the, the, the sports part of my background was very foreign to them. Um, and they supported it hundred percent because it kept me out of trouble and they saw that I was good at it. But you know, my my studies and the, um, you know, the the dinner tables were about discussion and not just discussion, but debate and putting yourself in other people's shoes and being able to defend your positions and uh, being questioned and having people come back. And so I I enjoy that type of, um, for lack of a better word, uh, adversarial combat type of discussion. And if it's done in a respectful and civil way albeit in an entertainment format. And so how you say something can be as important as what you say. I just find that that's, the, that's more interesting. And while sports historically have had plenty of that, I think soccer and soccer in the United States has unfortunately, just because of the lack of platforms, lacked some of that. And, uh, you know, with the advent of, the, you know, the internet and the megaphone and the, again, the platforms that exist right now, there's more of it. And it's kind of been underground for a long time. And so when I got my opportunities after kicking the ball, to, you know, to have that red light turn on, I wanted to make sure that it was something that that I was interested in, but hopefully somebody else would be interested in and not just everybody in agreement. And that's not to say that I go out of my way to um, you know, to be adversarial or that I say stuff that I don't believe in, but I, I do like the back and forth and I can put myself in other people's shoes and positions and argue it from their, uh, their vantage point. So maybe it's just upbringing or whatever, but I enjoy it. And I don't, I don't take it personally. I got a pretty thick skin. I've been around, uh, for a while and I certainly can get emotional and passionate, uh, and gesticulate. My wife will, will always, when we're ever having a disagreement, shall we say, she's saying, Hey, you're not on television right now. And so that's <laughs> my indication and my signal that I'm doing a lot of flailing around with my arms and uh, modulating my voice. You know, there was a time that um, in the middle of the the New Zealand, Australia, by the way, you guys did a terrific job, um, um, especially being halfway around the world and, and doing this. And the U.S. team went out early. And it went out about the time that the men's team usually goes out when it's mm -hmm. in the in the World Cup. And it was, of course, it was an it was an abject failure for a team to go out in the round of 16. But one of the comments that Carly Lloyd made on the set with you all uh, got lots of attention all over the world. Uh, let's talk about that Kelly O'Hara moment after the game. She had very little impact on the field, coming on very late for it. But 
she went to the head of the pack and she was the first voice speaking to that team. What did that say to you? What did you see from it? And it doesn't surprise me. Kelly O'Hara has had that presence about her. I would take her into a bar fight. She would be in my lineup because of that. She brings that mentality and clearly she's not happy here. And it's a bit concerning that Vlako and Ovnoski isn't doing that. And as I see some of these other images, players are smiling, they're laughing. It, it's, it's just, it's not good enough. And you need more Kellys. And that's the reason why this team is in this situation right now. Because Kelly will say it how it is, uh, whether players like it or not, but she brings that leadership and that capacity to do that. There's a you know, sort of two minds of that, that what is she talking about? She's an American. And the other one was, well, yeah, of course, that's the way she's she's paid to speak her mind. Yeah. What was your reaction to that? And, and kind of put that in some context for me, please. Yeah. So, you know, first off, I was incredibly you know proud of Carly, who is just kind of still coming off of the field. And I was privileged to work with her earlier uh in uh, in the World Cup in Qatar, that was kind of her first for foray into it, and thankfully she came back and uh, she's taken to it like a duck to water. And you know, as as anybody in that position, the biggest challenge, especially when you're just kind of coming off the field, is to be able to be honest and to say what you actually feel, but also to do it in you know hopefully an articulate way. You have to have an economy of words because there's only a limited amount of time, and she has been really really good at that. And some of the stuff that she said obviously is based in her background. And look, not everybody is wired like Carly Lloyd and her perspective is hers. And it comes from a place of knowledge and experience, as we talked about. But it doesn't mean that either you watching can't disagree with it or even me sitting next to her can't disagree with her. And there was plenty of stuff that we agreed on, plenty of stuff that we didn't agree on when it came to this type of situation, I think. It goes back to what you said. This is a team that is built, for lack of a better word, their brand on being the best and winning and winning consistently. And they have done so more so than any you know national team in history with two back-to-back -back World Cups. They were going for an unprecedented third. And not only did they not achieve that, but as you said, it was a complete and utter failure. Going, out, It's one thing to go out in the World Cup. That can certainly happen. And it's very difficult to win one, let alone two, let alone three. But to go out in the way that they did, um, I think it deserved the analysis that it got. And I also think that it deserved someone like Carly coming to it from a personal perspective with her background with the team, saying how she felt in the moment. And that's that's visceral. That is raw. And sometimes that's the best TV. Sometimes I know we will all go back and listen to ourselves or watch ourselves and say, ah, I wish I could have done this. Wish I could have done that. But the reality is that, as you know, what ultimately resonates is when you see somebody human in a human moment reacting in a human way. And I think that's what we saw that, you know, she burns for this team and she was almost embarrassed for them as to what happened. And as I said, she she went about her job as a player in a very, very different way than others. And so she puts it in that context. But a lot of the stuff that she said was wonderful television. It made for great fodder and, you know, a great discussion point. And there were people that disagreed and others that vehemently, uh, you know, agreed or disagreed with her going forward. So that's a good thing. So, Lexi, did you see or find that any of the response to what she said was sexist? that that the response was well pff, woman's not supposed to do that um what what's she doing did you see any of that feel that I, I saw a little bit of it but to be quite honest what was really really interesting was in general the tone and the way that this team was seen and we all know that this team uh and you know I said it on air I said you know don't kill the messenger but the reality is that what this team has done on and off the field and obviously the huge personalities not the least of which is Megan Rapino it has rubbed people the wrong way. It has made them for a portion of the audience unlikable. And there are plenty of people that tuned in simply to watch them lose. And, you know, a, a schadenfreude type of situation. And there's plenty, let's be honest, also just didn't tune in because they were they were turned off by uh, by this team. Now, that's a situation that they ultimately have created. And in that sense, you have very, very uh, little room for error in that you have to win because the knives will be out uh, for uh, for folks. The way the, the interesting thing when it comes to the women's uh, 
you know, game is that I've done now multiple World Cups and I've worked in the women's game for a long time. And as I said before, I don't really care. I look at it as a soccer game. And one thing that I made sure of when I started doing women's soccer was to not pull punches and not to do it differently. And I'll be honest with you, I've gotten much more positive response from, and you know, women's soccer, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting animal, right? Uh, but the response that I've gotten has been incredibly positive and, and, and the majority of it has been positive in that you need to talk about soccer in the way that you talk about the men's game. And that's what I have, have tried to do. And it makes it, to, for me, much more enjoyable. And I think ultimately it lends an authenticity and a credibility when we do it. And, you know, you just have certain people that say, oh, you wouldn't have said that if this was a guy and all that kind of stuff. That's all baked into the, uh, the World Cup. But I think we've done a good job at Fox and whether it's Carly or anybody else out there of saying, you know what, we're going to treat this the same with the set that we have, with the production that we have, with the money that we've put into it, with the personalities that we bring saying, again, this is people kicking a soccer ball at the highest level in a World Cup. And we it, it's a party. It's a festival. It's something that we want to bring people into. And I think we do it a disservice if we don't treat it in the same way. You better than anybody have experienced this team for a number of years on and off the field and what it is and what it isn't and the way that you see it right now. When you look at this team, especially in the cold, harsh light of day of going out in the round of 16, historically the worst finish of any women's national team in a World Cup, what are some of the things that you either see now or you saw when you were with the team that in that moment you said, this is not going to end well? Well, I think when I first got onto the team, there was just a level of respect for everybody there, for coaches, for other players, um, for support staff, you know, massages, trainers, doctors. And as the years have kind of gone by, it's, it's little stuff, but it kind of amounts to uh, big things and ultimately, you know, affects, affects on the field. But, you know, if you've got a massage, let's say, for example, you, your name's signed up on a certain time and you decide to not show up, and you decide to not text the massage therapist or tell them, hey, I'm running a few minutes late, um, and they're just sitting there, and they have to just sit there, and they have to kind of swallow that and not really say anything to the player that's done that. So there's just things like that. It's like you know, trash around the field. It's throwing your warm-up and expecting the equipment guy. It's just there's a level of, I guess, not everybody, but there's a level of just kind of the entitlement of everybody's going to do everything for you and just not being respectful of others. And I think that that starts at the top and that should be the coach and that should be the leader and then it should funnel on down to the, the players. Is the women's soccer team for the U.S. Um, more in the crossfire of the political landscape in America than the men's team has been? I think so, because, you know, by by their own actions, let's be honest, they have they have almost courted it and it has almost become a a part of what they are. And at times, you know, uh, a burden, if you will, or a baggage that many of them gladly will, you know, will uh, will carry around. But it also brings with it that baggage. You know what we uh, what we talked about the men's team, not so much because they just haven't done that. And let's be honest. The men's team, they are oftentimes in that underdog role. And so it's it's a little easier to play. And I will fully admit that, you know, what this women's team has done in terms of their success, it's it's almost next to impossible to constantly live up to it. And, you know, the and, and as I said, the knives were out there. But, you know, I think the men's team has gone about it in a different way, about, you know, kind of creating what the brand is. And this is why I hope now with this almost ending of a chapter that you know this next generation of women's players and this next version of this team takes the good and there's a lot of good and probably much more so good of this team throws out some of the other stuff and creates a new brand that is one that unites everybody so that everybody can sit down in that next women's world cup or even next summer in the olympics and say you know what i'm excited to this watch this team try to get back to the mount i'm excited to watch these women who are incredible athletes the best at what they do bring us back and make the united states when we're watching proud and want to sit down regardless of political affiliation just because this is the u.s this is the manifestation of the greatest country in the world on the field and that's ultimately what it what it should be and what it can be about
oh, if all of our professional lives, the abyss of uh, of the program was to lose in the round of 16 at the World right. Cup. I mean, this right. is the nadir. This is the bottom. This is the depths of of this team. And for those couple of people who are listening who don't know this, they've won, they won four of the first eight World Cups. They've won the Olympics four times. They'd never finished uh, lower than third place, I believe, in any World Cup. So they'd been through the semifinals of every one of them. And then they go out in the round of 16, a game after they they really qualified because Portugal hit the post in right. extra time in the game before that. So I think the writing had been on the wall for some time before they lost that game. And it was a scoreless match that went into penalties and they, they were eliminated. But um, but well, that was the big story, though, really. Yeah. I mean, when, when you look at it, yes, the U.S. bombing out in the round of 16 from a U.S. perspective mm -hmm. was was it was a huge failure. But the big story was all the other teams and how the rest of the world has, quote unquote, caught up. Now, look, it doesn't mean the U.S. can't win the next World Cup. But the reality is that we had, what, a 20, 30 year head start because we literally legislated for women's sports. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, we got that incredible head start in the, in the talent that we have, the depth of talent, the resources, the equality that we have when it comes to a lot of the things that we do, that we have done. And so we have reaped the benefits as a society and culture of saying, you know what, we are going to put women's sports on an equal footing. Uh, and if it's not there, we're going to do everything we possibly can to get it there. But you compare it to the rest of the world, mm -hmm. and that's where a lot of our successes come. And so now, with even a little bit of resources in with the existing infrastructure that other countries and cultures have, they can make up a tremendous amount of space and so you look at someone like obviously the champion spain but the list goes on and on and on they're coming that's a good thing actually it's a good yeah. thing for women's sports that the rest of the world is taking soccer seriously not just from a business perspective but from a competitive perspective because as you know for the most part it's been the u.s and a handful of other teams when it really comes down to it and now with world cups expanding and more and more teams getting in that's great to have them having that experience but you also want them to compete yeah, and I mean England has been has has spent a lot of money in their clubs, their their professional clubs investing money in women's. Spain won the whole darn thing as the as the whole federation was imploding with controversy and and now there's lawsuits and people getting fired and it was just absolutely nuts and and eight or ten of their great players were left home because the coach was uh was uh, vengeful toward them and uprising and they it's still a, won the it's whole, a whole documentary it's a whole documentary in and of itself what spain was and just from a pure soccer perspective john if you look at what they were four years ago in the world cup i remember sitting there with rob stone where we would say you know what they're 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 not quite ready for prime time but man oh man if they get the ability to score goals and within the frame of a cycle they became what we all kind of envisioned they were and they did it with like you said all of the drama going on behind the scenes and you know hopefully that gets sorted out because it has unfortunately distracted from what is an incredible accomplishment yeah. by these women and to be fair by that entire federation for what they've done. So hopefully it gets sorted out. They can come out bigger and better. And hopefully other teams look and say, you know what, we're going to, when it comes to Spain, we don't want any of that drama, but we do at least from a soccer perspective, want to make sure that we're doing some of the same things because in a very short period of time, they became not just a good team, but an elite team. Yeah. And really fun to watch. And, yeah. uh, uh, really exciting and of course we've we've spent enough time all of us in spain to know what soccer means to the people of, of that country i was there last year um barcelona played uh, leon in the championship i think it was the summer of 22 and i was out in a square in barcelona and it was absolutely packed with people watching the women's european champions final uh on a on big screens in the middle of barcelona they've absolutely embraced um soccer which is awesome awesome the women's well, game they, they and Again, yes, it's in the form of a women's team, but I think I think it really goes down to you know a nationalistic type mm -hmm. of feeling. People want to cheer for their country. It's such a different type of experience than cheering for your club uh, or your league or, or or whatever. And so, when it is your country, and I, I'll tell you, you know, and I know it's obviously controversial from a U.S. women's national perspective, but. For me, the, my favorite part of the World Cups are when we see the national anthems. And whether it's the U.S., you know, putting your hand over your heart and singing that, that, that song and what it means to, to me as an American, but also looking at the other teams and, you know, whether it's their first time ever being at a World Cup and what it means for them as individuals, whether it's the men or the women or the team. Remember Panama uh, from a men's perspective. And then you go uh, with, uh, with this World Cup where there's, uh, you know, a bunch of debutantes that had never been there. And just in that moment, the sense of accomplishment 
and the sense of pride that not just the people on the field that represent your country, but everybody else at home standing up. And whether it's Spain, you know, that has an incredible history and tradition, uh, or whether it's a team that just that you know that just got there uh, for the first time. People want to cheer for their country and they want to be proud as to what they're seeing out there with these men and women that are running around representing their their uh, their country. And it's just a wonderful thing to see. And so, like I say, I hope the U.S. women's national team, you know, gets back to some of that uh, in terms of having everybody come around that campfire that is your country and celebrate it. And uh, most people in sports who do this will say that the most marketable product in all of sports is national identity. It is so, you put the put the USA on there, put the España on there, whatever it is, um, you know, put the gold crest on there, whatever your country is. And even the baseball world series right. that we had earlier, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, Absolutely. You know, put, put the, put the flag on it and it, and it means something and it sells, let's yeah. be honest. Yeah, it does. Lexi Lawless is analyst for Fox Sports, uh, Fox Soccer. Uh, just got done with a cycle of the World Cup, not only in Qatar in the winter of last year, but then in Australia, New Zealand in the summer of 2023. I'm John Schrader. Alexi is the purveyor of uh, the purveyor of all that is awesome. I believe is the way you described <laughs> Self -proclaimed, it. Self-proclaimed, um, yes. Yeah, there you go. Um, you mentioned earlier about your education. I'm just going to ask you one thing about the education. Would people be proud of you or surprised to find out that you were a really good college student? Um. They, well, uh, they'd be surprised, I would I would think. I mean, look, I wasn't the greatest student, but, you know, as I said, I grew up in a household where, you know, your studies you had to were, be pretty good. Yeah. yeah, they were very important. You know, my my dad was, you know, a, a professor and you know, I had done college in like two years and it, it definitely skips a generation. <laughs> but but but, you know, it doesn't mean that he wasn't uh, wasn't wasn't proud of me. However, you know, when it comes to being in a household that not just encouraged, but and demanded me to try different things. And so while I was obviously deep involved in, in sports, when it, when it came to soccer, I played a, a lot of hockey growing up in Michigan. You know, I also had my mom's creativity when it came to, you know, writing and poetry and music uh, that I'm heavily involved in. And so one minute I'd be on the soccer field, the next minute I'd be singing with chamber singers, and the next minute I'd be trying out for a play. And so that type of diverse upbringing and diverse schooling, I think was really, really encouraged. So it wasn't just the X's and O's of reading, writing and arithmetic, but it was, you know, a, a well-grounded and a well-rounded type of experience that I think they recognized was going to be important. And I'll, I'll tell you, I guarantee that because I had that, and I was so fortunate and lucky to be able to have that, um, it helped me as a soccer player. So I know in this day and age where we talk about specialization and everybody, you know, doing stuff from, from an early age, that's all fine and well, but having a well-rounded childhood and when it comes to sports and all the other activities out there, I think that that can make a special player going forward. This next question, uh, Lexi's going to sound like a non sequitur, and I'm sorry about that. But that's okay. Um, good friend of yours you work with and a friend of mine, Rob Stone, um, is maybe the only guy I know of who does football, basketball, um, and soccer, but also bowling. Oh my God! Yeah. I mean, I mean, honestly, I, I don't, I don't know that there's a question in here, but I am going to ask you about Rob and his work and and what it's like to be around him and how he keeps track of all of this stuff. It's uh, it's it's quite amazing, and I know you've spoken to Rob, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, for for students out there uh, that that hope to kind of get into this game. Obviously, I come at it from a well, I guess it's traditional in that an ex-jock type of thing, you know, and doors open up and opportunities open up. I'll, I always tell players, though, while they may open up, they don't stay open for long. And so you better know what you're doing when you get in there and recognize that just like anything else in life, your success is relative to how much you work. And that gets me back to Rob Stone. Uh, he he does it with such ease. It's uh, kind of nauseating at, at a certain point. And as you mentioned, he's he's done if you're ever with him, ask him to go through his list of things that he has done. And yes, they're the things that you see him on consistently, including bowling, which, which by the way, he started when he was with ESPN. Obviously, now he does it with Fox, uh, where he became so valuable so quickly that you know the bowling uh, powers that be recognize that it's not a bowling event without Rob Stone being involved. And so it doesn't matter ultimately what it is. 
there is preparation that goes in. And we talk about this iceberg where what you see on air is only the tip, but if you don't have the rest of it, you know, that, that then the, you know, the base and the, the solid foundation, then it's going to hurt ultimately that tip of the iceberg. And Rob Stone is like that. He writes all of his own stuff and he's so quick and so, um, experienced in doing it it probably makes others incredible incredibly uh angry probably at times and jealous of what he can do but to your point it doesn't matter what it is he recognizes you know he finds very quickly what the emotional part of it is what people want to talk about he's incredible at getting rid of the crap and focusing in on what the meat is of any type of sport and any type of activity out there. And so I think that's why it lends itself to doing multiple, multiple different sports, multiple different games, multiple different activities. And so whether it's bowling, football, baseball, basketball, uh, outdoor games or anything else out there, he's just, he's incredible. He's a great friend, but, but he's also uh, just an incredible professional at what he does. One comment and then a question about that. And the comment is, uh, you know, this is that the people who make it look easy on television or make it look easy are generally the ones who have worked really, really hard at it. Mm -hmm. It just it, it's come natural that I've seen in my career, two or three people, but they still work very, very hard to continue making it look easy. And that's not easy. And the other thing is, is that I don't know that people I don't know that they care or that they should. But the kinds of things that Rob does on the set um, are are tools that that um, that you just don't understand. Okay, somebody in his ear says you've got twenty seconds to get from here to there. You've got fifteen seconds, and they're counting down in his ear as he's telling the audience something that's going on. There's an awful lot that happens, as you say, under the ice, you know, under the water, you know, at the tip of the iceberg. Yep. But the but the balls that are being juggled so much and. And and sometimes you come out 10 seconds from from coming out of a commercial break and they've changed the traffic for you because of some issue that's come up or some video that's not ready. And then you have to think right on your feet and make it look like it was all planned that way, that everything was just perfect. Right. I mean, it's even amazing. at the network level, this happens. Right. Oh, abso absolutely. And, you know, there is there are the best laid plans for any type of show and you have your rundown. And then very, very quickly, it can kind of go off the rails and sometimes in a, in a good way. And Rob is a wonderful uh, referee, if you will, of the moment. And to your point, he's hearing all sorts of stuff that we aren't necessarily hearing. We, we have people in our ear, too, but he's got to make sure that he is steering this boat that is that at times wants to go different directions and get it back into the right direction. And whether it's going to breaks uh, or whether it's talking about stuff. He's also very, very good, again, of distilling things down to its simplest form and its best form in terms of what we are going to talk about. Even in real time, he might recognize, wow, we might have planned to talk about this. This is going in a direction that's really good. And he's and he understands, OK, this is how much time we have to do do something. And Rob and I have been working so long together. And if, if you watch us on television, we are uh, we are at the opposite ends of a desk, and that is with a purpose um, and almost like this anchoring of what's going on in between. And a lot of times we're working many times with people that are kind of just starting out. And so we'll come down the line in terms of talking and I'll, I'll know because I will be hearing the count in my ear also of what's going on. And I in my real time, I'm saying, OK, I'm going to have to, you know, uh, go back and cut some things out as to what I wanted to say in order to in order to make it fit. But Rob and I have hand signals. We have eye signals. We know when we are actually on camera so as to make sure that if I'm signaling to him, I know that it's an ISO on somebody else. So I know that I can tell him that's coming down. I mean, even if it's like what's coming down to 15 seconds and I go boom like this. And I know that I, in 10 seconds, I can give something that's just a little bit that's just a little bit of me. But that comes from working with him for years and years. And he's so good at, again, pulling out the good stuff, not just in the moment on the desk, but beforehand, you talked about that work. Rob will come to me. I mean, we, we carpool together and it's amazing. Sometimes we'll just have conversations about stuff and he'll pick out those wonderful little nuggets and he won't even necessarily tell me about them, but he'll go back and he'll reference that because he will have heard me say something that he immediately says, Oh, I can mine that I can use that in the show. And that that's what makes a great leader. That's what makes a great front man. That that's what makes a great host of any type of show that he on a consistent basis is able to do that. 
Okay, I can hear Rob now in my ear saying, all right, that's enough about Rob Stone, okay? You're talking <laughs> yeah. to Alexi Lalas. That's enough about Rob Stone. But uh, but he's a he's a friend and a, and a good friend, and he's an absolute professional, and I like him very much. You do a podcast that you, I think, started as kind of an independent project, State of the Union, yeah. that has now sort of come under the Fox Sports, Fox Soccer umbrella. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I think we're, I was, I, we actually just recorded today, State of the Union, myself and David Mossy, my, uh, you know, he's a, uh, uh, just an incredible mind when it comes to soccer. And uh, we've been doing it for six years. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking Cincy and St. Louis magic, VAR mayhem, player power, reptile, 13-year-old professional players, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how you doing on this uh, Monday, October 2nd in the year 2023 i'm doing well great to have you back here with me and not hanging out with Stu holden and rob stone yes as we mentioned uh, last week i was up in the mountains uh you know doing all sorts of crazy things and hiking and water skiing and i'm glad to be back here with you in person uh, again later on this week i will be in our nation's capital for an appearance there and uh so yeah we put it out twice a week now we started once a week we do it twice a week over the last couple of years uh and david mossy i i, and I call him this the soccer savant because he just knows so much and makes my life much easier as really uh, as much of a of a star on this show as anybody that we have uh, and it's fun because you can breathe a whole lot more. You can talk a whole lot more in these types of settings. I mean, we just talked about you know, the the limited amount of time that you have on television. And really part of the skill and a unique skill relative to podcasting is your ability you know, to use an economy of words and to self-edit in the moment. And uh, you know, like I said, have that type of brevity, but still say something Im important. And uh, you know, on the podcast, we can talk a little bit longer. We can talk a little bit more in depth about uh, different things. And it's fun. And whether it's having guests on or just talking about what's going on. And we look at it kind of like, you know, we say from, you know, through the through the lens of red, white and blue colored glasses, because there, as you know, John, there's there's so much soccer out there. It's impossible for me, let alone for David Mossy, who's better than anybody to keep track of it all. And so it's a much more 30,000 foot type of look at what's going on around the world and what the big stories are, especially if they have some sort of thread and connection to America uh, when it comes to what we're doing over here or the American players that we have or, you know, future World Cups and all, all that kind of stuff. So we've tried to do that. It's pretty good. I think it's just a, a good couple of times a week where you just get a synopsis of what's going on. And, you know, I give my my hot takes of what's uh, what's going on. So, for example, you know, we're recording this on Monday, October 2nd. And so everybody kind of came on air today with the talk about VAR uh, over in England. And not that England should be the be all and end all, but when England does something, the world listens because it's the most popular league in the EPL. And so, you know, it's an evergreen type of topic now with VAR, but, you know, it, it, it's just because it's not happening in the US doesn't mean that American fans aren't talking about it. And American fans, as you know, are some of the most discerning out there. They have their domestic affiliations, their international affiliations. They oftentimes watch multiple leagues. And so this is geared towards what they do. And if I recall from the, the few days and weeks and years that I did a little bit of freelance work at Fox, David's like a you called him a savant, but he, David Mossy is like this yeah. um, stats and background and and research um, genius almost in this stuff. And he sort of lives for this information about oh, soccer. Is that right? Yeah, and his retention, his retention yeah. for, for data and information. And by the way, he's also an incredible writer and writes a lot of the stuff that you see. I mentioned that Rob Stone writes a lot of mm -hmm. his stuff, but a lot of the other stuff that you see is written by David Mossy. And so when you Great. see... You know, I don't know, a Kate Abdo or something like that. And it's interesting if you ever get a chance to speak with David, you know, he has to write differently for different people. So for a Kate Abdo, who obviously comes from a much more British type of uh, perspective, uh, as opposed to a Rob Stone. And, uh, you know, he's really, really good, again, at distilling things down and putting it in, I guess it would be the language of television, if you will. And that makes him, you know, a triple or quadruple threat in terms of what he does. And to your point, there's nobody more valuable when it comes to putting on a massive production than David Mossy for what he does. 
And was he a Writers Guild guy? Did he have to sit by and uh, watch other people he, work? He, actually, he I think he was okay. So I think we uh, we were able to uh, to skirt that. But thankfully, it's all been uh, settled down, and the people are getting paid what they certainly deserve. And you and I both know that you know when it comes to writers and the value that writers have on not just you know uh, in in traditional ways, but on television uh, for the things that you do. Uh, you can't pay them enough because let's be honest, oftentimes they make you look good. And in my case, I need all the help I can get. <laughs> you know, people come out on the Emmys and the Oscars and uh, uh, if they're really good, almost the first thing they say is this stuff is so beautifully written. I just tried not to get in the way of it. Right. It's it starts with these ideas and they and they get germinated and then they get put on, then they get edited and then they get delivered. And it really does. And I, I'm so impressed with people who can write and and write well. And and I hope people appreciate that. In everything we do in this business, I think they do. And yeah, they do. You know, while we're not complete shells, we often are vessels, and 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 we also are are sponges. And, and so, being able to again intake all of the information that we have, um, and then perform. And I always considered myself a performer, and, and recognizing you know what words to use, uh, your the timber of your voice and the volume of your voice and the stressing and again the gesticulation because this is a visual medium too that we're involved in and you, you, it takes a village as they say and having men and women behind you that help you look good on television uh it makes a huge huge difference ultimately the red light turns on and you got to be ready to perform but to the extent that you have worked and that includes the people that have helped you work that's what's ultimately going to show and that's where the quality usually rests Okay, Lexi Lalas, uh, let's talk about writing. Let's talk about writing music and performing mm -hmm. it. And we've done this a few times over the years, and we haven't really talked a whole lot about music. You had a new album out, I guess, not quite a year ago it was, maybe? Yeah, at the end of last year, I yeah. put out uh, a new uh, a new album. Uh, along for, uh, we for still call career. them albums? I'm sorry. Do we still I, I, I still do albums in okay. that they are collections of songs. Okay. I'm not going down to the record store and pulling the vinyl out, although <laughs> vinyl obviously has made a hell of a, of a comeback, but it's much more of a nostalgic type of thing. But yeah, I've been involved in music for years and years and years, continue to put out and release my own stuff and write it and record it. And uh, for the three people, including my mom, I, I do it. Said we'd walk together, baby. Come what may, there'd come a twilight. Should we lose our way? Fast we're walking, our hands should slip free. Fall behind, wait for me. It is part of who I am. Uh, there's no way that I could possibly stop. It is a, a wonderful um, creative outlet that I have. A lot of it is. Um, and when I look and I, and I listen to some of the songs and I see, I hear some of the lyrics, a lot of it is kind of a diary of places that I've been, things that I have done, not, not overt. Um, but, but you can see, at least I can see when I, when I listen to songs and listen back to songs about where I was, what I was doing and how it has come out in the, uh, in the writing. And it's given me a wonderful, as I said, release uh, and a creative release to be able to do it. And even if it, even if nobody listens to it, I'd still have to do it because I love it so much. I think people listen to it, don't they? Yeah, there's every once in a while. You're I mean, being, I get a kick being, out of yeah. yeah. No, I get a kick out of it when uh, people come up and uh, regurgitate my lyrics to me or say, "Hey, I listened to that song," or "That was uh, that was pretty cool," and uh, and all that. And nowadays, you know, the distribution of music is so easy because mm -hmm. of all the platforms you have there. That's the good news. The bad news is the distribution is so easy that there's so much out there. And certainly off of a pandemic where everybody and their mother, including my mother, uh, who uh, have any type of creative bone in their body, obviously put something uh, put something out. So there's a, there's a glut out there of stuff. But I think more, whether it's music or anything else, but more art is good in my book. Even bad art is better than no art at all. 
So if your wife is a tough critic in television, and I think any of us who've ever worked in television and have been married for a long time know that the best critic we have, mostly positively, but sometimes not, is is our spouse. Oh, yeah. um, what is what does she think of your music? She tolerates it. No, she's she's uh, she's a wonderful fan of it, and she listens to it. I and I I play stuff for her before. I have two teenagers too, and so I I get the multiple generation type of review uh, and oftentimes it's a preview so i listen you know i let them listen to stuff and hey you know which one did you like or which one didn't you like or do you like this version and my wife's the same way obviously a, a whole lot o older so i put the two together and kind of come in at the middle but to your point about you know uh significant others and spouses and stuff like that of people that are on television I mean, the reality is that you got to have a pretty big ego. And I raise my hand. I'm, you know, I can be an egotistical maniac and a narcissist and all that when it comes to the stuff that I do on television. And part of uh, part of her role, I think, uh, that she has taken on, whether I wanted it or not, is to cut me down to size. And believe me, I need it just like anybody else. And she, to your point also is that she's an incredible critic and very, very good. And it can be something that I don't even notice. And it could be something aesthetic. Uh, you know, why are you wearing that? Or you did this with your hands or, Hey, this was really strong. This wasn't so strong. Or, you know, wh why, uh, why don't you try something, uh, something like this? I actually, people won't, won't have recognized it, but the last day of the women's world cup, I wore a blue shirt. Now in the greater scheme of things, that's not so big, but if anybody has ever watched me, I only wear white shirts and my wife forever has been trying to get me to wear something else. And so out of uh, respect and to honor something that she has been desperately uh, begging me for, I wore a blue shirt on the final uh, of the World Cup, the Women's World Cup this uh, this year, just to, if nothing else, to hopefully get her off my back. Good for you. Good for you. And I think, you know, and, and yes, uh, you have to have confidence and you have to believe that that what you say and do and write and perform is quality and and something about that drives you and some people think it's ego and and I'd like to call it confidence there you but, go but but you also to that point you have to have someone and I tell young people this especially the talented young people is have somebody in your life whose opinion you trust and who can give you an honest appraisal of the work you're doing. A lot of people are going to blow smoke and a lot of people are going to say, Hey, had a boy. That's great. You were fabulous. Especially your parents, the younger you are, your parents, Oh honey, your grandmother. Oh honey, you were great. Find somebody in your life who will give you an honest opinion about what you're doing. It will, even if it hurts, even yep. if it's not something you want to hear, you got to hear it especially nowadays, and maybe looking at it the other side is that everybody's got a megaphone, right? Everybody's got a platform with social media nowadays. And so that's the other part of it where you have to be able to recognize that, well, first off, no matter whether it's now or 20 or 50 years ago, there is not a chance if you're in the entertainment industry that you're going to please everybody, okay? <laughs> Somebody is going to have a problem with everything that you say, all right? At least one person is not going to like it. If nothing else, because they just want to hate you and they want to not like you. And the internet is built for that because it gives that person that in the past, while they still would have had that opinion, it would have been next to somebody at a bar and only the two people involved in that right. conversation would know. Now everybody has a megaphone. I don't. I, it's not a problem, but it, it's. It, it, I think this next generation as they come up needs to recognize that social media can be an echo chamber. It's not necessarily a focus group. Yes, it has wonderful things and it can provide some positive impact and input and creative um, uh, types of uh, criticism out there and constructive types of criticism out there. But also it can just drag you down if you only zig and zag relative to what you read on uh, online. And so a long time ago, I recognized that people are gonna say what they're gonna say. Now, I'm also in that adversarial mode apt to come back on social media when people say some different things. But again, I'm not going to change who I am. I feel that I'm a good person. I feel that I do a good job. And to your point, you have to have people around you that you trust that can cut through all of that and get to you in an honest way and say, this was good. This wasn't good. Try something like this. And if you do trust them, then you will take that on board and maybe you change it or maybe you, you say, you know what, that's, that's okay. I take it on board. Uh, and I'm going to try to, you know, maybe change some things here or maybe i'm not going to do anything going forward but you got to have people around you otherwise you'll just 
You'll just be, you'll drowned in stuff that doesn't matter, including the good stuff to your point. Mm -hmm. And you'll get a false sense of security and you won't get better and you won't evolve. And I, I still make mistakes. I can still get better. I still got a long way to go, hopefully in this industry and do some things. And I want to get better. And if you're just constantly in your own little chamber and not listening to anybody else, and certainly not people that you trust, uh, that's a, a recipe for uh, disaster. Now, speaking of social media and also on your podcast, it starts out every morning on Twitter or X or whatever we're calling this now. Hello, sunshine. Hello, sunshine. What's the genesis of that? My mom used to say that to me, and it's a, it's a common phrase out there. And uh, so my mom, when, growing up, uh, always used to say that when I would come down for school and stuff like that. And uh, I just thought it was a good kind of opening type of salvo out there. Uh, the people who reward you handsomely for your talent, do they have some restrictions on what you can and can't do uh, regarding social media? It's been, uh, you know, it's been pretty hands offish type of, I mean, they recognize that, you know, I am part of my job is to have an opinion. And when you have an opinion, you, there are going to be people, like I said, that agree or disagree. And part of my job at times is, you know, involves an opinion that could be provocative and could provoke people out there. You know, the interesting thing nowadays is, you know, trying to gauge what your voice should be on social media and how much of it should be, you know, specifically relative to, in my case, it would be soccer uh, or, you know, if you want to talk about politics or if you want to talk about personal things or how personal do you want to get or don't you want to get? I don't think there's necessarily a right or wrong answer, but you do have to be respectful and aware of whoever you're working for. In my case, it would be Fox that whatever I'm saying out there, even something that might be controversial or provocative or that somebody might disagree with, that's not necessarily a problem. It's a problem if you put yourself and the company in jeopardy by something that you say uh, that is beyond the pale, that is, you know, deemed. And, you know, we're all adults here to, to, to a certain extent. So you know what is right and what is not right. And yes, there's a line and sometimes you cross it. Sometimes you get, uh, you know, a call into the principal's office. Sometimes you get your knuckles wrapped just like, any, just like anything else. I try to stay away uh, from that as much as I possibly can. And I'm sure you're like everybody else out there where uh, the amount of things that you would want to say is vast. The amount of things that you ultimately do say and do press send on is very small. And I think that gets back to also the, the, the times that we live in. We know we were all one, we were once so bold, right? And now we're all kind of so scared. And I get it because the ramifications from saying something, you know, that gets even something you didn't even mean, even something just that gets taken the wrong way, they can be incredibly drastic and dramatic. And, you know, I, I get why people don't want to risk saying what they feel and really what they feel out there for fear of retaliation um, and real rep repercussions that can, you know, ruin your career and ruin your life. I, I don't know, but I think I'd be a very wealthy man if I had a buck or two for every time I wrote something in social media and then just deleted it, right? I write right. it and then I don't send it. I'll bet you for every... Every time I post something on social media, probably 15 or 20 times, I've written something and said, nah, it's either not very well written or it's not really something I should say, <laughs> yeah. or I'm not angry about that anymore, so I'll just forget it. I mean, the real power for someone like, I don't know, Elon Musk or something like that <laughs> would be to have this button where he presses it and everybody's draft folder <laughs> of tweets and uh, social media posts instantly went out there. And then everybody's text chain would immediately go out there because you know we're all on these text yeah. chains where we're all shooting the sh you know you know what and we're we're talking about things in a way that we wouldn't in uh you know in a, in a public type of setting we're all on there and we're all rolling our eyes and shaking our heads and stuff like that but you know that's just the world that we live in right now would and, be a lot uh, of people looking for work yes indeed but who knows maybe everybody would be <laughs> maybe. looking for work and we will we would oh. kind of get back to a position where we're not so you know easily easily offended and hurt by everything and anything that anybody says do you think lexi that 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 most people who interchange with you um in, in social media understand that fox sports and fox news while under the same murdoch umbrella are not the same company do they sometimes misconstrue that relationship 
Yeah, and, and it's it's not even misconstrued. I I get it. You know this this association that we have with a very very controversial type of entity. By the way, an entity that is incredibly successful and incredibly lucrative. Um, you know, and I I love it. I love the association, and I have gone on it plenty of times. But again, because of that association comes baggage and you know the, the fox in general and certainly fox news and fox sports would would tell you the same thing that this is uh, you know part of you know living in 2023 the messy effect in in major league soccer yep. um a friend of mine i've known forever a really accomplished um media relations professional um started doing some work in soccer and he said i just Number one, don't know a lot about soccer. And number two, I'm just blown away at that Lionel, Lionel Messi. Brady's got 12 million followers. Messi's got 500 million followers <laughs> on social media. Can you somehow contextualize for, for the people who are really into it and maybe the people who are not what this Messi effect is on American soccer? Yeah, it's it's transcendent, right? So, uh, you know, you're you're dealing with a human that is one of the most famous humans in uh, in history, one of the most famous humans on the planet right now. And he's playing in our league and in our country and all that comes with that. And, you know, this, unlike David Beckham, this is arguably the greatest player ever to play the game. Someone that's months removed from winning a World Cup. So this isn't you know, the a grandfather-esque type of thing. Uh, yes, it is the twilight of his career, but he's still playing at an incredibly high level. And again, we're recording this on Monday, October 2nd. So news, you know, possibly filtering out that, you know, his injury right now could be serious. Who knows if we're going to see him, but he's already done so much. Mm -hmm. And we're really going to start judging him and enter Miami come next year when they have a full year preseason and right. all that kind of stuff. But what he has done so far is fundamentally changed the way that people look, certainly at Inter Miami, Miami as a brand, but also Major League Soccer and soccer in the United States. He's brought credibility. And there's the instantaneous credibility and wonderful rewards that he has brought with his play here. But then there's the long term. And with that credibility comes more and more players, I think, who will look at the U.S. Uh, and look at Major League Soccer as a destination. Because if Messi can do it, and not miss a beat. And that's why I hope he plays with Argentina next summer in Copa America. And then, you know, the, the, the ultimate would be in his backyard in the U.S. defending his World Cup in the U.S. in 2026. That would be that would be wonderful for uh, for the league. And we're for the first time seeing Messi in a league unlike any league he's ever played in with the manufactured parity and with the salary cap and with the restrictions and the single entity. And yet he still shines. And he not only with other players that have come in, but the players that were there, and this was a historically bad team at the beginning of the season, completely turned it around. And that's the mark of just a, an incredible player that he makes everybody else better around him. So what do you say to the the critics who are, you know, there are plenty of MLS critics who just come out of the wall because <laughs> it's MLS and it's American soccer. And and I read somewhere uh, not long ago, well, gosh, well, how bad must Major League Soccer be if Messi comes in and makes it look so easy against uh, Major League Soccer teams? What would you say to someone who said that to you sitting next to you over a glass of something in uh, Joe's pub? <laughs> so I, I never ceases to uh, amaze me, and I'm never surprised by the level of insecurity when it comes to American soccer relative to our own soccer country and culture and what we have done and the inferiority complex that we have. Again, here was a player that months ago was standing there winning the World Cup with Argentina as the player that brought them this. And now he's breaking ankles and winning games and being great in MLS, but somehow it's because MLS can't defend or somehow it's because he's playing an inferior league. And yet he was breaking ankles and has been for the last decade in multiple leagues Everybody. against great players. Uh, and even like we said, only a few months ago doing it, but now it's because of the league. And so, I mean, again, it it's, I understand it and I expect it at this, at this point, but I think it deserves pushback. And I think people are just so low, not everybody, but as you mentioned, certain people are so loath to give MLS any type, not just credit, but even a positive review of what it is. And I don't know how 
anybody can look at this in anything but a positive light. This is a good thing. This is a happy thing. If you can't enjoy what happened when Messi came to MLS, then you lack joy in your life and you should go see somebody about that. There'll be plenty of times for us to scream and yell about what MLS is and what MLS isn't, but this isn't one of them uh, right now. And so keep doing what you're doing, Messi. It's wonderful to see what he has done. I hope that it opens up doors. And as I said, brings a credibility to a league that needs it going, uh, going forward, but to crap on MLS because of what M uh, uh, Messi is doing, that's a you know that's a that's a bridge too far. I do not abide. Yeah, you know, and and interesting thing is that coincidentally is one of the owners and the driver of the Miami uh, franchise was David Beckham. He doesn't have all the money in there. The Moss brothers have the money in this thing, but um, but um, the Beckham effect in two thousand seven or so mm -hmm. uh, was grand. But this is like exponentially grander. The Messi effect, isn't it? Than the it Beckham. Is, I think it's it's there's obviously two different things. And David mm -hmm. David was much more of a star and much more, you know, he was about glamour and he was about bigger than life and he had a bigger than life type of persona and brand. And Messi, to be quite honest, has nothing to do with MLS. He has always been the reluctant type of star and, you know, doesn't do interviews, obviously doesn't speak English the way David did. And so this has been purely about what he does on the field, all of the stars and, you know, the, the celebrities and the, uh, the famous coming out. It's because, Hey, here's an opportunity to see what a lot of people feel is the greatest player ever to play the game. And so it's specific about what he does on the field. It's not about magazine covers. It's not about selling chips or anything else, but it's simply about what he does on the field. And that's, that's pretty special, but it's a very, very different type of equation than what David Beckham was when he came. Which is really more special the way I look at it in 2023, because you cannot be a world sports celebrity in 2023 unless you do all that other pop culture stuff. Think of another grand sports celebrity in the world who's a quiet force like right. Messi. Right. It's you can't. I mean, can't. that's it's you just I mean, let's be honest, many athletes actually think and start their their careers, if you will specifically and relative to what brand they want. There's some famous athletes that are famous simply because of the brand they have cultivated much mm -hmm. more so than anything that they have done. Uh, they have done on the field. Yeah. Like I get it. Believe me. I, I believe me. Yeah. I'm speaking from, uh, from experience when it comes to cultivating a brand out there. Just but, look up the long red haired guy with go. the, with the beard there you uh, go. in there the you 1990s. Go. Uh, Google that folks. Google. Exactly. That. Exactly. But, but to your point, yeah. I mean, Messi <laughs> is about soccer and he is a, uh, you know, uh, he's an anomaly uh, in so many different ways, in the way that he presents himself, in the way that they have. It's still a brand, but the brand is kind of even more authentic and pure because it doesn't have all of that other stuff. It's simply about this guy that if you didn't know anything about soccer and saw him walking down the street, there's no way you would point to him and say, hey, there goes the greatest soccer player that ever played. And yet he gets on the field and it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. He produces moments of magic and that is the ultimate definition of a star that when everybody expects you to do something incredible you continually deliver and he has done that since the moment that he arrived in mls and to, to the point where people are going this can't sustain itself and it, you know it sounds like he's sustained a little bit of an injury here but again he has he has nothing to prove and he has already made his mark and it'll be really interesting what happens next year with inter miami when they do have a full off season and a full preseason and he can kind of focus in as opposed to coming mid-season and in the middle of uh you know the league's cup and all that kind of stuff so it'll be fun to see what they look like in 2024 some brilliant writer uh and maybe it'll be me uh, the brilliant part i'm not sure uh but somebody a great writer is going to juxtapose uh american soccer in 1994 when major league soccer was uh, was created post world cup and 30 years later they're going to look at it and see this was these are like two different creatures they're two different things they're incredible and that's only three decades and it's, some young uh, people will say three decades 30 years that's forever no that's only three decades that's not much it's that's amazing. not much time it's as the saying goes you've come a long way baby and we certainly have and yet it does seem like yesterday and to your point you know and i've said this before but 
we kick ourselves for what we aren't or what we haven't mm -hmm. done. And sometimes we do have to pat ourselves on the back for how far we have come in a relatively short period of time. Mm -hmm. And what soccer was back in 1994 and then obviously 96 when MLS first kicked its first ball and what it is today, and not just MLS, but USL and NWSL and obviously yeah. the World Cup's coming and Club World Cup's coming and Copa Americas and all yeah, of the soccer awesome. that we have and all the pathways and opportunities that are afforded this generation. Uh, it's it's wonderful, and it warms the cockles of my redheaded American heart to see it each and every time. Well, Lexi, uh, thanks. I appreciate it. I'm glad your cockles of your heart are warmed. <laughs> um, you can find some music somewhere. Just Google Lexi Lawless Music, State of the Union's name of the podcast, and every once in a while he pops up on your television um, uh, barking about soccer on Fox. So thanks for your time, as always. Thank you, sir. Great to see you. Be good. All righty. I'm John Schrader, and this is Watch the Media.